U2's pop has turned 25 and the Garden Tarts are celebrating all year long. So tune in each week because Jenny and Hillary have found the keys to the time machine. They're heading back to 1997 to find all that nostalgia and the sugar dropping, bubble popping, rock and roll. Hey, Hill. Hey, Jenny. How's it going? Oh, pretty good. How about you? Doing well. How's the, how's the home office in Cleveland going? Oh, the home office is doing okay. It's getting a little bit of a makeover, which is nice. How about our uh, flagship there in, well, Virginia, except you're visiting Maryland? I guess it's fine. No one's called to set it burned <laughs> down, so. Good, that's good. So we are super excited. We have a super old friend, not an old person, but a longtime friend with us today, um, Andy Green, who, gosh, Andy, I've known you forever, but you are currently a senior writer at Rolling Stone magazine doing a lot of YouTube work. So yeah. we are so excited that you um, would come on the pod with us. Thanks. I am thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. We would totally ask, tell you that we know what you had for breakfast, but we don't have assistants like Bono who does that and <laughs> tells people what they had for breakfast. Yeah, we don't we don't have his resources. It seems like lately he always knows what people have for dinner before the, before breakfast before they interview him. But we couldn't figure out how to find that out aside from maybe asking Bono and he's not returning our call. Yeah. <laughs> he hasn't because we don't have his number. This is true. This is true. Um, so Andy, just since we're, I mean, we want to talk some Rolling Stone stuff too, but um, tell us your like YouTube fan origin story. I, it's kind of random, and I knew about them from when I was a teenager. I heard Mysterious Ways on the radio. I'd heard one on the radio. I remember the Batman Forever soundtrack and all my friends having that, but I confused them with R.E.M. I was listening to a lot of bad music back then. I was listening, you know, in like 1994 or ever, I was buying like the, like the Rod Stewart box set and the Eagles Hell Freezes Over, listening to like Steve Winwood records. I was just lost. I know I didn't know I did I just I didn't know what I was doing. Um, <laughs> We all find our way yeah, on our own fine. terms, so it's okay. I became a big Genesis fan. I still love Genesis. Uh, but what happened, I, I watched the VMAs every year. Uh, and, that, you know, I, was, I, well, I would always enjoy that. And, and the 97 VMAs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw them play Please. And I remember it vividly. I was in my basement with the big screen TV, and they panned you 2 and Bono is wearing the hood. And they played Please, and I was just captivated by it. Uh, really captivated. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, I re- that's amazing. It was so much better than, like, the Puff Daddy and stuff that was, that was played in that year. And I went out, and I bought Pop. Uh, and I really dug it. And I was really, I, I got a lot of CD bootlegs back then. I was always buying Genesis bootlegs. So mm-hmm. I went to the bootleg record store down in like by Akron, Ohio, and I got a Pop Mart double like live album from the Pittsburgh show. It's like awful sound quality. It was like fifty dollars. I uh, was there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I bought that show on freaking CD, 
Uh, and that's where I learned the older songs off of that. Like, that's where I first really, I'm like, oh, this is the band that goes with or without you. Oh, I know that, you know. Uh, and then I just started to inhale the catalog. And then that didn't take long because there weren't that many records. Yeah. So I quickly got every record and I just became obsessed. And, you know, by the time Greatest Hits came out in 98, I really knew the stuff cold. I was getting all the bootlegs. I was getting the books. Like that YouTube concert guide book was like mm-hmm. my Bible for a short time period. Oh, yeah. Yep. Like, like Prim De La something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which one you're talking about. Yeah. And so I like memorized that basically. And then, so I was, but I, I never seen them. I was just chomping at the bit to go see them, but all, you know, they didn't play in that, in, in that time period. I never, I was captivated by the concert they played in like Ireland in 98 for the unification thing. That was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went, I was a college freshman in 2000 and it was the build up to the, to the album was really exciting. And then I remember when I first heard Beautiful Day and I got the record and to watch them come back was really exciting because to see the culture when they embraced them again. And so when the tour started in Miami, it was around spring break when my girlfriend and I, we bought tickets. We, we went down to Florida. We so opening night. Did you go? I was there too. I, I was there. <laughs> it was it started me going to lots of opening nights for them. And it was like, finally, I've been waiting for that moment for so many years. The show, you know, it blew me away. And then the night that Bono fell off the stage. Uh, yeah, that's fell off yeah. the catwalk. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I remember that well. And then I sent away through the fan club for a bunch of shows. I did four, it, like in May or whatever of two thousand one. I went to Kentucky and Pittsburgh and Columbus and Cleveland. Then I went. Then I I went to I went to Chicago and saw two shows there where they play Out of Control and E and E Eleven O'clock Tick Tock, uh, and I was just fully in. I was a super hardcore fan by that point. I cannot. I I this is like the first time I've ever heard of someone learning the older songs from a bootleg. I know. That is- <laughs> Totally on brand with you, Andy. Yeah, through like an audience recording transferred to CD. It was, the sound was just abysmal. Yeah. So I remember. At least you got a CD though. When when I started that, it was all on cassette. Right. All my boot, I still have a box of bootlegs on cassette. I remember actually seeing you in the queue for that Pittsburgh show for Elevation. Oh, right. I remember seeing you there. Um. So our backstory real quick is that our listeners know that I used to work at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, and you were in and out of there for years, yeah, um, working all different kinds of things. But I knew you from the curatorial department mostly. Yeah, I did my senior project there in high school in May of 2000. Yeah. And I kept coming back on, on my on my vacations from college. All my summer breaks, I was working there and I was in HR. I'd been accounting for a few weeks. I was all over. And then mostly at the end, it was just curatorial where I got to know you and Jim Hankey and Howard and June and Craig and the whole gang down there. Yeah. And I mean, did work with Amanda, too. Yeah. Yes. Garden's heart, Amanda. Someone yeah. on Twitter today was like. Even though she's not rarely, rarely on here, they know people know. Did I just see Garden Turn Amanda on the 
the preview to the Tigers baseball game in Cleveland. <laughs> we're like, yes. Wow. She's almost famous. <laughs> what can we say? That's great. So I never worked at the Rock Hall in uh, 2000, 2001, two, three. No, I wasn't there in 2000. One, two, three, and so on. I was there. I was like, I had good flight um I had a direct flight from Charlotte and I uh was there like every Thursday <laughs> <laughs> pretty much oh, wow. at some point you like helped me with with the U2 opening Hillary and people like thought you worked there yeah yeah she helped me with we just had this conversation my brother and I just had this conversation today about he really wants to go and, I, and he was like you know can Amanda give us a tour or whatever and I'm like maybe Maybe, you know, a fancy tour, but I mean, I can give you a tour. I've been there enough time. <laughs> You're just there. Just there. Just there. Um, so, working at the Rock Hall, and you mentioned Jim Hankey. Yeah. That, tell us how Jim got you in the Rolling Stone. Yeah, I owe so much to Jim, I can't even begin to calculate it. Uh I went to Kenyon College and was at the Rock Hall for most of my summer breaks. And um, college was ending. I didn't know what I wanted to do, really. I was thinking about law school or something. I just didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. Um, And I went to Jim, and he's like, well, I can probably get you an internship at Rolling Stone. And I'm like, wow, that would be amazing. I was thinking about moving to the city anyway, to New York City. Mm-hmm. And my brother-in-law's friend worked at VH1, and he was going to get me a job as a production assistant on their shows there. So I was kind of torn between the two things, but Jim emailed Nathan Brackett, at the, who was at Rolling Stone then, and got me the interview for the internship. And I went in, I met Nathan, and got in July of 2004. I started intern in August '04, and it's 18 years later, and I'm still 18 there. 18 years. I've been there 18 years. I he never left. I never left. I'm not an intern now. You know, I wasn't paid for the first like five months, but uh, it was all Jim Hankey, and I told him many, many times how grateful I was that he that he did that for me. It was life changing. Well, Jim definitely got you in the door, but they wouldn't have kept you around if if you weren't what they needed at the magazine. So give no, yourself some credit there. <laughs> no, I, I I do. But the hardest step of, of any career, anything is like zero to one to get in the door. is right. so difficult sometimes when you don't know anybody there. So just getting that opportunity was huge for me. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm 40 years old now. I was, you know, like 22 when I started. So it's kind of crazy. Uh, but yeah, I just stuck around and didn't leave. So at what point did, and, and I do want to get back to talking about pop stuff too, since you brought it up, but at yeah. what point did you start covering U2 stuff? Early. Um, I was determined to go to the San Diego like tour launch of the Vertigo tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was still an intern then. So I told them I told them, look, I, I, I'm flying out there. I'm happy to like, cover it, but I'm going no matter what. And they let me review it in the magazine. That was one of my first big articles was a review of opening night in San Diego. So, yeah, I flew out there. I think I paid for the trip, if I remember, but they got me primo tickets for, for my friend and I. And that was the first time I got to work 
and see it all happen. I remember, I remember, I, I think also I was an intern when the ticket fiasco happened with the fan club stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I was, I did an article on that, which caused some strife because their camp was pretty pissed about that, that we were covering <laughs> that. I mean, like, well, this is forever ago. Uh, but uh, yeah, so it it's, was all the way back to my intern days. Oh, and one of the, the best days of my internship, yeah, this just came back to me. When they when they announced the tour, they played they played the concert in Brooklyn Bridge Park. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I just I was just been there a couple months, and they let me go to that. And when we got in early because we were Rolling Stones, so it was the first time in my life I've gone to a place where we cut the entire line and we walked to the front, and I got to be right in front of the stage when the truck came down the Brooklyn Bridge and they oh were playing God. on it. So cool. And I'm just sitting there like. You know, and then they they're on the truck, they on the stage, and just boom, and I'm right there, and I was like, this is the best job ever, you know, I get to be in front of this concert, uh, so I'm like, I'm never gonna leave, and now <laughs> I'm still there. So yeah, I was, but that tour, I was really, I was, I was just all over it. That's awesome, and now you get to like interview the band and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and then, and and then what happened? Jan Wenner was going to go do a cover story interview with Bono in 05 okay. in Mexico. He was going to go down there and spend a whole day with them. And he didn't know a ton about their history. So he told me and Joe Levy, my boss, then to help write questions. Okay. So I sat down for a whole day and wrote out, you know, like 200 questions for Bono in different categories. I went into Jan's office. We talked for a while about you 2 It was the first time I talked to Jan at any length. Uh, I told him all about Bono's mom dying, the whole story. I walked him through everything. And he was so grateful for it that when they played the Garden a few months later, they did that Garden residency in 05, he, mm-hmm. he had a party at his house for you 2 to celebrate it. And he he invited me to it. Uh, so I was... Um, wow! That's so that cool. maybe was the night that, that we got peace. <laughs> that was probably yeah. one of the night we got peace. We waited and waited for the band to come out, and Bono comes out in like a work van, like a white work van, uh-huh. and he drives by and like, he, and poor Amanda, because she hadn't met him and was very anxious to do so, and she's like, I got peace. No. <laughs> anyway, in my I don't know, because it was there were many nights there, but in my imagination. Now it was that night. They were yeah. he was in a hurry because he was going to. I think this was the night after it ended or something. So I go to Jan's house. Just pretend. We'll just I know. It, it, it was the same night. It was the same night. Thank you, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. So this is gonna sound. This, I'm gonna sound all name dropping and braggy here. I'm really not trying to be. No, but do it, please. I, I never, I've never before or since been to an event like this. So. I'm 20, like three years old in a sport coat, like kind of terrified. I show up at this crazy big house that Jan still lives in on, on 74th Street by that by the park. And I walk in and like there's Ahmed Erdogan, there's Conan O'Brien, there's Caroline Kennedy, there's Woody Harrelson, the, and there's Michael Stipe, then there's all three Beastie Boys, then there's Robert De Niro, uh, and I'm just like. <laughs> Yeah, I wish y'all could see his face right now. It's yeah, just I just didn't know, didn't, know, didn't even know what to say. 
I mean, I found myself at a table for dinner with all three Beastie Boys, and I'm just like, hey, guys, you know, I, <laughs> it was so insane to me. I couldn't even fathom what was happening and how weird it was. Uh, but Bono, Edge, and Adam showed up. Of course, Larry, like, didn't want to go, I'm sure. He didn't show. Yeah. Uh, because but, he was busy hanging out outside the venue now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just yeah. how things look in my head. So I was kind of terrified to talk to anybody. I was talking to my coworkers most of the night, you know. Uh, but I, I was determined to talk to one member of you two at one point. So it was, I was almost over, and I saw the edge by himself, and I sort of just cornered him for a second and I was like you know I was terrified you know I couldn't believe I was staying next to the edge or to any of these people and I go hey I'm Andy I really enjoyed the tour so far thank you and he goes oh it's nice to meet you Andy and I said to him I started talking I, I I'm like you know edge like my two favorite songs with you two you, you've never played live <laughs> and he goes what are those and I go drowning man and acrobat you know <laughs> And, and he was like, oh, yeah, I, I guess not. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay. You know, I didn't know. I, it was like, it, 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 this is probably about, about 30 seconds. But in, in my mind, it was like hours because I was so overwhelmed. And, yeah, I didn't get to, to see to talk to Bono or, or Adam or anything that night. But it was a lot. And so that was the first time I ever met one of them. And you immediately started with your acrobat campaign. I started the acrobat Immediately. Yes. In 2005, I started that campaign. It took 10 years to happen. But it worked. You did it. <laughs> it, it. It took many interviews, and I'm sure it wasn't me. It was just coincidence I kept asking about it. Take it, Andy. No, take it. Well, yeah. how things take work it. in our mind, too. You, It was all you. But we're, we have a campaign to bring back discotheque. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, and anyway, if you would like to join in on our campaign, we would well, love to. Well, I switched to the lady to the lady with the spinning head. I I've asked Edge about that now, like twice probably, but that's pretty unlikely, I would guess. <laughs> well, if you could add some discotheque digs in there, we would we'd really. I, I, I feel like it's not discotheque isn't be, beyond the realm of possibility. It's possible they played it in in like oh one right. Uh, they. Uh, they did. They had a like a it was almost like a reggae version or something of it. Right. It totally different. They did play it in '01. Yeah, but right. they did. Um. I don't care what version of it or anything. I just we just need to hear. It's all year. It's all pop. All yeah. Year. We're not I'd gonna shut up until we. I'd be thrilled. I think some of my favorite live moments ever seeing them were the Gone, where the versions of Gone from '01. They they killed it on 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 that tour with Glenn yeah. Gone. And um in one their version of Please was amazing too. Oh, I missed that because that was just post 9/11, right? It was they, post 9/11. They, they did the acoustic yeah. one, and I just yeah. see all of those shows. I was bummed. I was super bummed that I missed Please because I love that song so much. Yeah. I, I've never seen it live. Oh, it was so good. But I think that they said that or did Bono say that it was Elvis Costello that told them taught them how to play it the like the way they needed to be playing it live right right that right sounds yeah. familiar yeah yeah so um, part of the reason we thought to bring you on here is because we are all pop all year and we happen to know pop is your favorite album yes 
Um, now I'm assuming it's your it's interesting on, though and, because obviously I think it it's for everyone your entry album is always your favorite. Of course, of course, of yeah. course. So, so there's I a mean, different emotional place in my heart. Yeah. My yeah, my entry is Joshua Tree Jennings's Autumn Baby. Autumn Baby. Yeah. I mean, I just don't know how you compete with the album that changed the entire trajectory of yeah. Yeah, I think, I think my brain knows that Octoon Baby is a better record, but my heart prefers pop. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, but so like, uh, whatever you say, you know, people ask me all the time, what's my favorite song? I don't think like my favorite song isn't their best song. There's a, you know, there's a totally. So, I mean, I'm a, actually, no, I'm not aware. I, I'm fairly certain Joshua Tree is their best album, regardless of my, um, of my entry level, but, but, uh, I don't know. I just think it's interesting that, that, that you said that because it's, you know, it's just where you landed. Yeah. Do you have uh, a favorite song on pop? Depends. I love gone. I love please. I love mofo. I love if you wear that velvet dress, make up dead man. It depends on my mood, but probably gone. Okay. It's so, fair. Good choice. Yeah, we approve. <laughs> what? So, um, do you have like a favorite concert, a YouTube concert you went to? Um, I've been to I've been to so many and some special ones. I was at the Apollo Theater like super close, and that was a really special night. You listened to that live. We were just in Virginia listening. So oh, yeah. We were together. We were together drinking Fireball at a campground yeah. in Virginia, but we but heard it. <laughs> I think Pittsburgh 01. I was in the heart. I was really close, and that just felt like a really special night to me. It was a great night. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, We're big I, fans of Pittsburgh shows. We've yeah. never seen a Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh show that was not off the charts. I went I to I went to open night the Joshua Tree tour in 2017 in Me Vancouver. Too. Me too. I was there too. Yeah, and just watching them play Exit and watching them play Red Mining Town for the first time ever. Yeah. Watching in God's Country with the video production, it was just I couldn't believe it was happening. My uh my two favorite bucket list songs forever have been um Exit and A Sort of Homecoming. One oh, night yeah. Oh and that, now what? Yeah, and that version of A Sort of Homecoming with the with the drum loop thing they did was awesome. So and I, I say this all the time, but it was it, it was kind of, it was an amazing show, but it started off very unnerving because it just seems that Bonham was so nervous. And I love that. Like, that to me makes it just real, you know, like. Yeah, I think with the no video screens in the theater, the Punk Floyd thing that they were trying. Yeah. I could see why it was nerve wracking. And they changed it around a bit. They cut some of the songs. They yeah. had bad in. I think they didn't quite know. I mean, just to back up for one second, I remember in 2016, their publicists like, came to the office to talk to us, say, about a bunch of projects were happening with a bunch of bands. And then casually, she, she was like, by the way, so I just heard I just heard a, about you too that next year they're doing a tour of the Joshua Tree. And, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> was, they're going to play it straight through for the 30th. I was like, 
no, no, that's impossible. What? You just slip that in. It was like, just as he slipped in, and so I knew it super early, and I was just like, they're going to play Exit? I mean, I just couldn't fathom it was going to happen. So I was really pumped for that tour. Um, and I made all these plans. I, I always do opening night, so I, I made all these plans to go to Vancouver. I book everything. And then they're like, yeah, so the band doesn't want opening night to be reviewed because they, they want to get all the kinks out. They want to have the first real night be in America. It's such an American record. I'm like, oh, shit. So I had to go to Seattle. Do, yeah, to do both of them, which which was fun, but it was it was just tricky. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't want opening night if I were them either. Right. Pretty par for course. I yeah. mean, Pop Mart. <laughs> oh yeah. That was <laughs> that was the big, I mean, we were both there, and that was uh, it was super fun for us. But I don't think it. That was my that was my first show ever. Oh that wow! Yeah, one Pop of the most famous shows of ever. that they ever did. Yeah. 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 When you think and I barely remember it. <laughs> <laughs> but they seemed like they had fun too. But you know, coming. As they were being reviewed, that was just a horrible idea. Well, and and they were under rehearsed, but you but you saw Do You Feel Love live, which is pretty cool. They didn't do that all that many times. No, they. I think they. I think I heard. I think I heard it twice. So I heard it in. We Vegas, then the ne- I'm not looking it up. The next show, which was uh, San Diego. Oh, nice. Did you go to um? Did you go to Tulsa? Yeah, I went to Tulsa. I I've been to every tour opener since 01 besides 360 because I just couldn't travel to Helsinki wherever it started. Yeah, it was yeah. too much. I I I was in Chicago for the for the, the first U.S. show, but besides yeah. that, I was in Vancouver twice. I was in Tulsa. Tulsa was, I thought Tulsa was amazing. It oh was so much fun and. I'd never seen an where they were that comfortable, but it also wasn't like a brand spanking new tour. Right, yeah. So they were familiar with the yeah. staging and everything. Yeah, that was a great show. I loved it. I I had I had the best time in Tulsa. It was just a really like free. Uh, I don't know. It just seemed like everybody was having a good time. Oh yeah, for sure. Quick side note: They played "Do You Feel Love" six times. They gave it six tries. Nice. And you saw two of them. I saw two of them. So that's one third of all the Do You Feel Loves. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, I saw one. Hillary saw two, yeah. Yeah. Nice. I think so. What were, what were they played it until when? They're all in a row. Well, so. they, the next show I saw was with you in D.C. anyway, so no, I wouldn't have. Yeah, so yeah. Vegas, San Diego, Denver, Salt Lake City, um, Eugene, and Tempe. It's Sun Devil Stadium. Yeah. They're all April 25th and May 9th, just and then you saw one of the window. only staring at the suns they did that wasn't acoustic, right? Because pretty quickly they switched it to the acoustic they version. Did. They did. I think they still tried it um, without it being acoustic in San Diego. Uh-huh. But then after that, it was acoustic after it, which is really interesting because my brother was in 11th grade at the time and was taking guitar in school. He never picked it up. It Literally, he had like a semester of guitar and a friend of mine was at the show and recorded it on one of those little those little cassettes the little one like the, right the yeah yeah and um she like you know made put it on a regular cassette and i came home and my brother listened to it and he was like no they should just do that acoustic yeah and by the next time i saw them play they played it acoustic and that was like 
oh my god, like, why would my 11th grade brother, who knows nothing about guitar, have that insight when it didn't seem like they had that yet? Yeah, you know, I I've always wondered if the first single was Staring at the Sun, not Discotech, and if maybe the version was a little more focused on the album or something, a little more radio ready, yeah. things could have gone differently. Yeah. Oh, I want to just add, and this is, so, I mean, I don't, I met you too, but I've really never met anyone else, but I have met Caroline Kennedy and Michael Stipe. Oh, wow. Nice. That's yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just thought I'd drop that in there. I never, I've never met the, I saw him in concert twice, the Beastie Boys, but I've never met anyone else in that room, but those two. And I feel like that's something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's yeah. very cool. <laughs> very cool. What's okay. Well, wait, wait, let me ask you this, Jenny. What do we have the same favorite concert? Kind of think so. Um, mine bounces around for different reasons, but I think we did until you had a new one. Because mine for a while was the that Pittsburgh. Um, that, what was the stadium show? Was that in? Was that 360? That was an amazing, amazing show. No, Stephanie. My favorite concert is the most recent one I attended. Oh, yeah. Review. So that's our both of our favorite shows. Yeah, okay. Let's say that Pittsburgh one was like the most overall epic. Okay. That was a vibe. That was a vibe. Also, uh, I had some weird feeling that was my last U2 show. I don't know why. I don't think I've ever said this aloud. I just had some vibe that I was never going to see them again. And that was uh, so incorrect. Don't say that. <laughs> this was. This Maybe was you're just glad that it, years it, ago. Oh, that it's your it. favorite. It was 11 years, but at the time, I was, like, crazy emotional, thinking, you know what? I know, I feel like I'm never going to see them again. I And I've seen them, I can't, I can't count, I don't know how many times since then. 10, 12, 13 times, something like that. And, but I really did. It was, it was Pittsburgh in 11. It was just such a good, heavy show and everything. And I'm like, yeah, this is, I'm not going to see them. Like, it just had this awful feeling. But yes, our last show, we saw them um, on E&I in Dublin two nights in a row. And that last show was um, personally epic for us both. Cool. It was just epic in general. Okay. (laughs) I mean... I can't. I don't know how to top that one, but I don't. We're not. I don't want it. It's just no, good the way it is. Like um. Okay. So the saying goes, and you know, never meet your heroes. But is that for? I mean, that can't be true for you. It's not true for us. Yeah. No, it's not true. I mean, I've met them all. Besides Larry, I've interviewed them a lot. I've interviewed Edge and Adam a lot of times, but I don't meet them when I'm interviewing them because they are it's a weird public conversation yeah they're promoting something I'm doing my job so I guess once I went to the after party for the opening night in Vancouver for the Joshua Tree and I was talking to Edge at the bar for a few minutes so I guess that was social but mostly I've been just interviewing them so but they're great. I mean, I could talk to them for a very long time. They're super cool. And I think Adam is my favorite to talk to. He's really chatty. He's really funny. 
uh, and just loves to engage in conversation. You know, he can talk for a very long time. So they're very thoughtful people. They're hyper intelligent and they're great interviews. Bono's amazing, but even he'll say that you ask one question, he talks for like 10 minutes and it's hard to jump in. Yeah. So yeah. it's tough to interview him. You just sort of listen. <laughs> he has so much to say. Uh, but I've had a lot of good interviews with Adam and, and Edge and Bono. And yeah, I've never had one bad experience with U2 Camp in all my years there. They're very nice to work with. That's what we would hope for yeah. sure. Yeah. Do you have any um, non-U2 hero career highlights? Any <laughs> hero highlights that are not U2 related? Yeah, I mean, I love Bruce Springsteen and the Street Band. I've interviewed Bruce a few times. Uh, I love Neil Young, Crazy Horse. I've interviewed Neil a bunch of times. Uh, I don't, I've been there so long. It's been a lot of people. You know, I've been on the classic rock beat for a very long time. You know, and a bunch of them are gone now. I mean, I I interviewed Tom Petty all the time. Oh. Uh, and I just interviewed him a few months before he died. So, you know, that was crazy. Um, you know, Stones and all these people, you know, it's it's been crazy. It's been just my life for so long to just talk to all of my heroes. It's surreal when I think about it, but it's just so commonplace now. I don't think much about it. Yeah. I mean, on some level, I kind of got that way, you know, doing PR at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Sure. Like, what famous people have you met? And whether they're people that I necessarily know or fans of, whatever, whatever, they're still famous people. And I got to the point where I just couldn't even list them anymore, which I yeah. felt like, I'm like, that is awful of me. This is like people's dream. And I can't even, I should have kept a list. Yeah, uh, just anything becomes normal. What does get me sometimes i'm so used to to musicians it's hard to get me starstruck or anything but i love stephen king a real lot and i got to spend a lot of time with him for a feature eight years ago and that to me i was just like i can't think talking to stephen king you know my husband uh, is a huge stephen king fan my brother is fair that as well yeah nice yeah so that you know so people like him i can occasionally be really impressed but even when I'm talking to like Ringo Starr or something, I'm just like, hey, Ringo, you know, you just don't even think about it. Even though he's a freaking beetle. <laughs> he's a freaking so beetle. So when, when Paul McCartney came in the office and I looked up at my desk and, and he we was there. We just have to end this right now because I, yeah. my ears are Sorry. not. My oh, yeah, ears just, aren't processing this. You just say that Paul McCartney just walked in your office? Is that what you just said? Yeah, he was in the office and I was talking to him for a second. But... To be face to face with him and to hear the accent, I was like frozen for a second. And what I said, it made no sense. I just was like saying random words almost. He was like, like what? Because I was so overwhelmed that I was talking to Paul McCartney. So he, there, 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 there's something made about him that it's hard to talk to. I find, I, I found the, the one time that I talked to him. Yeah, I, I can't, I, I, I can't imagine what it's like to be him and everyone you talk to talks. Like, yeah, it was like the random. most awkward like 30 seconds of my entire life. And he walked away. And I'm like, oh my God, like that didn't go very well at all. <laughs> so, but I think he's used to that. He meets people. Sure. And they don't know what to yeah. say. So, just words come out that don't go together in any coherent way. Yeah. Like, I've always felt like with, with Bono, he has some sort of way of like 
I don't know, like taking your soul and like calming you down and then handing it back to you. And like, so I've never felt like I've like, I don't know. I don't know that I felt like I just said weird random words or whatever, but I thought I was going to. And then somehow he like, calm, I feel like I can watch it happen around me. Like he somehow calms people down and then lets you have, you know, yourself back and then you know what to do. Yeah, I think that Bono's very soothing. He's very aware of the reaction he causes in people, and he's he tends to it in a very oh, soothing way. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Whew, that's a lot of that's a lot of responsibility right there. I still am hearing Paul McCartney walked into my office. Like, yeah. <laughs> I can't I can't move on from that. Um. Okay. Can we're gonna let's completely move on. Let's completely move on. So, um, tell tell us about the office. Oh, okay. <laughs> you weren't uh, expecting that one, yeah. That was great. I mean, like, but it was a random thing. I'd always wanted to do a book, but every music book I figured has been done. I would love to do a book a, about Neil Young, but Shaky exists and it's amazing. I can't top that. I'd love okay. to do a, like a Bob Dylan book, but Quentin Hayland has written twenty of them. I wouldn't know where to go. I feel uh, like I should step in here real quick that we're not talking about the Rolling Stone office. We're talking about this show. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, which the show, the office. Yeah. But that is a really good question. Is there any similarities between the offices at Rolling Stone <laughs> the and office. the office? <laughs> We'd often I feel like that's a good interview question. So to make a long story short, what happened, I was home for Thanksgiving a few years ago was bored. I put on Netflix, watched the dinner party episode with my parents, because that's a favorite of mine. And I was it was just so damn funny. And I Googled it, saw that the 10-year anniversary was a few months away. I'm like, huh, it'd be fun to do just an oral history of the dinner party. So I go pitch it at, at the office, at, at my office, uh, <laughs> and they go, great, do it. And so I put out the interview request. I interviewed John Krasinski and Jenna Fisher and Ed Helms. I, I found all the all the minor characters. I sort of got obsessed with it. I did like 20 interviews for it. Uh, and in the middle of the process, I was approached by a book agent who wanted to, uh, to talk to me about some book ideas. And he was pitching a book about Tom Petty or something. And, and, I, and uh, I go, that could be good, but... I'm in the middle of reporting a big oral history of the office dinner party episode and, and there's no office book. So I want to do just a oral history of the office. And I, I have a good start now. I, I just spoke to the entire cast and he was like, that's a great idea. And before I knew it, he had us meet with every, like with every publishing house in the city. We must have done 15 like separate meetings with people uh and there was like a bidding war it was all so quick and before i know it i had 12 months to report the entire history of the office while doing my job full time uh so it was a a very stressful year and i couldn't get everybody to like to like talk to me there's all this politics of the office staff i knew nothing about that i was waiting into (laughs) uh so it was kind of a nightmare times but when it was all said and done, I did almost 90 interviews. I got so obsessed with it by the end. I was interviewing the caterers on set and the boom mic operators and the Scranton Chamber of Commerce representatives. I just sort of kept 
going like a maniac doing more and more interviews. And I formed it together into a book. It came out, it was so funny. It came out March 24th of, of 2020. So for so many, so for like a year and a half, I was waiting for March of 2020 to come. And there was, so that month was looming so large in my mind. And we had a book, a book release party at the Strand, all these events across the country and all this stuff planned. And then March comes of 2020 and everything's canceled. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't promote a book with I can't even leave my apartment. Uh, but they pivoted. I did a whole day of interviews on my phone, all on radio stations all over the country. And it was a New York Times bestseller, which was really surprising. Oh, and, congrats. That's amazing. Yeah, thanks. So it sort of was Absolutely. a big career change. It's it's strange. It's strange that it's a non-music book because I'm a music guy, but it was just, it just sort of happened. That's awesome. So what's it called? Tell us what this called so people can look for it. Uh, it's called The Office, colon, an oral history. Okay. The simple title. Yeah. Or the, I, I think that, that there's even a second colon. It's like the untold story of the greatest sitcom of the, of the 2000s or something. Oh, okay. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, go so by it, y'all. <laughs> my, uh, my, my dad is uh, always trying to find like shows that I'll watch with him. Uh-huh. Oh, like it's always, he's all, Usually it's documentaries and stuff, but he found this documentary on CNN called The History of the Sitcom. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> I believe you were on that. I was on that, yeah. Was there another show that you discussed in addition? A ton of them. It was a weird day. There was one really specific one that... I that talked about Roseanne. I talked about... I've talked about like 10 different shows on that, at least. Hogan's Heroes? I was talking about Hogan's Heroes and F Troop. It was a five-hour interview. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. I sat in this room for five hours, Mike, talking to a guy on an iPad with the whole crew there. And they just throw out shows, and I would just start riffing on them. It was really weird, but it was fun. Well, my my dad loves Hogan's Heroes, and he's, even though he's seen them, like, Every episode a million times, he still DVRs it. And we have, I've had weird family circumstances lately. And my two little cousins I are in my charge a lot. And we'll go, like, we'll go to my parents' house and he's watching Hogan's Heroes. And I'm like, this is a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. You cannot explain this to them. It's, it's a sitcom about a Nazi prison camp. And it was on a major network. It's and the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> well, it was on the, it was on, the, I believe it was on the episode about, wasn't it workplace comedy? It was, because that my, was their workplace, was the Nazi prison camp. Well, the, well, the Nazis were at work. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, they were. I guess that the prisoners were not at work. They right. Were, my, and my, but my dad was like, it would have been nice if they took a few, a few more days off work. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm like, I like my these little kids walk in the house, and I'm like, I say to my dad, like, you can't explain this. Like, yeah. how are you going to explain this to these small children, these small Jewish children that are just learning about Nazis, and that you're watching them with a laugh track? Like, you can't <laughs> get just get it away. It's but anyway, weird, yeah. that was the. I love The Office. I hate 
Hogan's Heroes. It's one of the, yeah. it's like the bane of my existence. But I just, I, I got, that just cracked me up. Yeah. <laughs> and Hillary texted us, oh my God. I think that's Danny talking, talking about Hogan's Heroes. Hogan's Heroes. I started this like enormous debate with my dad for the, for, you know, the bazillion time. It's still, it's not, I'm like, just stop watching. Yeah. It's not, it, no, it's, it's not good for anyone to watch it anymore. Not okay, yeah. Yeah. No, no, definitely not. No, but like, how do you explain it to small children? You, you can't. Cannot, There's you no cannot. explaining that away. No. I'm like, turn the television off. Just, I mean, maybe you can, maybe a little bit, think you could explain MASH, but not really even that much. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> put Jeopardy on, they'll be okay with that. Oh, yeah. Anyway, okay, moving on. I, I was going to say hypothetical question, but it might, I don't know, your line of work, it might actually not be. <laughs> sure, sure. If you had to buy a present for AU2, who would you choose and what would you buy? You mean for one member of the, of the band? Yes, A. That, 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 that's how we refer to them. A, you too. Jeez. I mean, we think. don't want to put names in your head, so you can. Um, it's hard to think of what to buy people that are worth like $100 million each that could have anything. They can build a house in Malibu on like a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. The, you know, the we, origin of this question is because we had people interview us yeah. last week, and they had all these questions like this that we were like, "Huh, I, that's super! I, like, we need to have questions like that. Be more creative. I, we we them. did an interview with Edge a while ago about his favorite songs of any one genre, and he was really got into like post-punk stuff that he loved, like Wire and Echo and the Bunnyman. And all those favorite groups from then. So maybe I get Edge, like, a limited edition, like, Echo and the Bunny Men vinyl album or something. I think okay. he would take that. Good answer. I like that. I like that. Thank you. Good thinking on your feet. Really good answer. Yeah. I would get Bono um, a gift card for <laughs> Men's Warehouse to get a properly tailored suit. <laughs> you can cut that out, Jenny. I'll take that out. But maybe not. No. <laughs> Why does he wear such ill-fitting clothing? Are you it has for not? all of time. When it wasn't, if it was not skin tight, it's ill-fitting. So right. <laughs> apparently, it's what he likes. <laughs> that was just for my own entertainment, actually. Kind of an ongoing. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be a. I think that would be just men's warehouse. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're worldwide. I'm sure they're worldwide. You can just yeah, buy one, get one free suit. We love him regardless of his mm-hmm. attire. Yeah. Did you have your mom at a show recently and we're backstage with her? Yeah, yeah. I took her to the Cleveland Joshua Tree show. We were there. <laughs> we went to during Mumford and Sons opened up, right? Or the Lumineers? Lumineers. Yeah, it was during Lumineers, we were in some lounge. No, they put in, it in Cleveland. Um, oh, it was not. It wasn't. Uh, One Republic. One Republic. Okay, yeah. I, I didn't even watch it. I, I was in the lounge, and then their publicist said, do you want to come see the band and say hello? Um, so, uh-huh. okay. Yeah, so I brought my mom. We're in uh, some room in walks Edge and Adam. And we talked to them for like 10 minutes about 
my mom's favorite music and everything. We took a picture, and then Bono came in. But it was almost showtime, so we had like two minutes, so we just snapped a quick picture. I never asked for myself. I don't like asking for pictures. I feel awkward like doing that. It doesn't feel like a journalist. But with my mom there, it felt okay. That's fair, yeah. Uh, so I did that, yeah. Oh, fun. That must have been so much fun having your mom there. Yeah. I have a, a funny story that, that sort of ties into that. Uh, when they played the Garden in 2015, uh I was backstage, you know, I was at the side stage thing, the pre-show thing that they bring like the press to or whatever, like VIPs. And a guy came out and was like, Bono wants to say hello. And I said, okay. So he pulls me round backstage and everything. And I'm outside of some room and security is like, is like, he needs a few minutes. He's in there with Bill and Hillary Clinton. So I'm outside. Yeah, so right, I that show, yeah. was outside by security, and it was almost showtime, and I was getting anxious. I didn't know where I was, and I can't miss the first song. I'm right. obsessed with, I have to be in my seat when the show starts. Like, I can't be going through the dark to find my seat and missing the first song. So I eventually said, I, 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 I was like, guys, I'm not interviewing Bono. He's busy. I'm sure Bill is talking a lot right now. You know, <laughs> I'm just going to go. I don't need to see him. It's fine. Just tell him I, I couldn't make it. And they were like, he wants to see you. And I'm like, yeah, but I have to figure out, I have to get to my seat somehow. And I'm going to miss this big song. And they were like, the show can't start until he goes on. Oh. <laughs> like, walk with him to the stage if you want to. I'm like, but if I do that, then, then the lights go out. I'm God knows where. I'm on the side of the stage. I want to get to my seat. I'm like, look, I, I have to go. <laughs> so I left. I was so nervous about missing my seat. And then... I have it right here because my, my mom framed it. Um, I I got this in the mail a couple of days later from Bono. <laughs> what does it say? Andy, we missed each other in NYC, which yeah. is a shame as you have been very present in you two's life. Aww. And then on the back, he drew like a picture of himself. Oh, my oh God. that's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, really sweet love right there. That's really awesome. I um from not as cool of a story by any means, <laughs> but I uh the, our former governor, my Virginia's former governor Terry McAuliffe had a he was at that show. I'm sure he was with the Clintons that night, but uh-huh. <laughs> I know I'm sure he was in there with. Anyway, he um had to he had this press release saying that he, when he flew there and everything, that he took the the state plane, but he paid for the crew and the gas and everything out of his own money because our prior governor had misused funds. And so I, everyone in the world sends me this and I'm like, oh my God, I went from Virginia to New York. It was kind of like a, you know, crazy like I had to get up at the butt crack of dawn and then Jenny I, was waiting for me and everything. And it was frustrating. And I'm like, I could have just gone to Richmond and gotten on his flight and yeah. I <laughs> paid him, you know, whatever I paid to American Airlines. <laughs> right. So a few a few months later, I get invited to go to a Hanukkah party at the governor's house. Oh, and wow. I'm like, oh, I'm waiting. This is it. 
like I've been waiting to tell this story, you know, forever. Like, God damn it. I could have, you could have taken, I mean, I didn't know him. This was the first time I've met him, but I know people in his realm. And um, anyway, so I get to meet him and, and I'm like, you know, Governor, I think we went to a U2 show together in New York. And he was like, with the Clintons? And I'm like, honest to God, my response was, no, I went with Jenny. <laughs> I was not with the Clintons, um, but I went with Jenny and he said it was, you know, the best show he'd ever seen and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, yeah, that's okay. (laughs) And then I saw him again. He just ran for re-election and lost. And so a couple, whatever, in November and uh, October. And I'm like, you know what? He is, he doesn't know this he doesn't remember me. He doesn't, he's not going to know this story. And so I'm going to try it again. And he said, Oh, that, that show was just okay. Like, I mean, I think we, no, I said, I think we went to a U2 show together and he was like, that show was just okay. And I'm like, this is, this doesn't, this isn't normal. This isn't like the way the conversation should go. And he was like, yeah, just like, you know, just a little while ago in DC. And I'm like, we're talking about a different concert. Apparently the Clintons were at that concert as well. But like, I started thinking, oh my God, did he go to a U2 concert in DC and just a few months ago and no one, like, how did I not know this? But his timing was off. It was E and I, and I was there too. Yeah. He ruined the story. Yeah. Totally screwed up the story. Cause I wanted to get, I was waiting again for him to say, you know, with the Clintons and I was going to be like, no, no, with Jenny. <laughs> but my mom was sitting there like dying when I said, because I said, this is how the, I'm going to say this exactly. And he said, with the Clintons. <laughs> no, with uh. Jenny. Anyway, so I like to add to, now I'm adding to the story that he, you know, screwed up you meeting Bonner that night as well because you didn't want to miss. And I'm sure that, I'm sure that the governor had, quite a bit to say too and and sure i have have one more letter here i just found it oh please oh yeah let's see when i went to nassau coliseum in 2018 uh like someone came in my seat and just handed me a envelope uh you can see it here okay it says i'm this is this is really important translation translationing translation here and what you started You are making us better just by being here. See you for a pint soon. Oh. What's it say? What does it say? Oh, you got a McFisto drawing. And when he said see what you started, he was talking about Acrobat. Yeah. (laughs) So it's it's sort of the proof here that it was my endless badgering over a decade that got the Acrobat. McFisto drawing. Yeah. And then McFisto. What does it say on the back? Does it say A? I think it started to write Acrobat. I can't even read it, but I think a, so. it says A from B. It says B. A from B, yeah. Yeah. C, take acrobat. That is the and coolest A. thing ever. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> what does it say after after a pint soon? What does it say right before his name? I hope. I hope. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, if you ever are invited for that pint and you know you feel a little nervous and might need like a wingman or something or you know a little buffer 
I, I can be on a plane in a second. I will happily bring you both. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So if you, okay, here's our, this is our question that we ask everyone and, and ourselves constantly, but what would you ask Bono if you had to share cake and whiskey and or a pint with him? If you had to sit down right now and have cake and whiskey. Not a work interview question. You don't have to have, yeah, just sitting down, having cake and, and a beverage of your choosing. Well, what would I ask him? Um, hmm. I'd ask him, why can't you do another album with Eno and Lanois? And... I mean, I, I don't know. There's, I mean, I've asked him a lot of my, uh, my actual questions. I, I just press him. I want to ask about the new record, why it's taking so long, and as gently as I can say, do you think it's possible that you overthink these records these days? Maybe <laughs> if there weren't so many producers, maybe if you just sort of stop trying to get another vertigo or elevation as the single maybe if you were more like depeche mode and just kind of realized i have this huge fan base we can make records for these fans and realize a hit is never happening again then go out and play to these fans cater to them life would be easier if you weren't trying to make beautiful day happen again falling short and pleasing nobody as much as i love all i love all their records i love songs of experience i have no problem with any of it but yeah yeah, it's great but well songs of experience is one of my favorite albums yeah it's great it's great i'm not playing to their fan base for me right there yeah Yeah. of course of course of course i just think that bono is they spend so long on these records because they're trying to be all things to all people sometimes and i think that's may be misguided the word is relevant they're trying to remain relevant right which is amazing which um we don't like it 20 years ago though like seriously like 20 years ago that the thing is that when you're when you're so concerned about being relevant that's when you start to become irrelevant and yeah you gotta gotta go with it yeah that they don't need danger mouse or red one or ryan tedder and these people Mm -mm. that i do really like the that that um what was that song it was summer of love but it was ryan tedder's version of it oh his was called west coast, west coast. i love that yeah. song actually yeah a lot it's great yeah but no they don't need it you're right they they just so i my theory um which i'm kind of proud about and then i read someone else say it today actually, which made me sad because I think I thought I came up with it first, but I definitely didn't read it first. But I mean, the they keep talking about songs of surrender. And my assumption is that's the companion for the book. Not a freestanding album. Like they keep talking about how they're gonna, you know, redo old songs and stuff. And yeah, my and theory the book has the same title. I mean, yeah, surrender. I, think, yeah. surrender. I, I wish I knew what they're working on now. It's it's it, it feels as, as if they've never been more secretive than they are right now. Yeah. I, well, I agree I, with I that. Think I think it has. I really do. Like, I feel very strongly about this, that what they're they're working on the the book companion. I, a book is about the past, though. Like when Bruce did his book, the companion album 
was unreleased old songs that tied into various themes of the book and everything. Well, so, I mean, I don't, they're not, I don't think, I mean, maybe they're doing, you know, stuff that hasn't been released too, but, but I think they're just redoing old songs. Okay. That that are, that it's the companion to the book. So like when he has a chapter about out of control, they're reworking out of control. Edge and Adam have said that forever, that they're working on like remaking their, like learning songs, old songs again. That would be cool. I think what, occasionally bums me out is songs of experience and songs of innocence are great but they're both kind of looking back on their story then the gosh tour was looking back on that and the book will be looking back on their life right it's we a need lot of forward yeah i've heard a lot about their past and it's a it's a great story but i would like forward movement you know i would be more psyched about new songs than remaking old songs i, I, I would like to say that i think songs of experience especially when it got moved to like push back, it became a album of the present. Sure, of course. No, I I I totally hear that. I I, I, I love it, but I feel like, but you, you know what? It's it, even so, it's still a lot of it is still like like old experience. It's not necessarily all like new stories but but regardless i love it i absolutely love it but again i do i do want to see what they do next i don't i would rather hear new i mean i'm excited to hear what they a new take on old songs but like for a band that was so against you know playing their old catalog for so long yeah you're right about that they haven't they haven't moved forward, like completely forward in in a while. I mean, like they the I'd seen them twenty times or something before I'd heard Sunday Bloody Sunday once. Right. Yeah. Not twenty. I, Clo- close to twenty times. It's interesting. I think that they would argue against all of that, that they that Joshua Tree was not revisiting the past, that it was only because right. it was relevant for the future. It was, it, it makes so, I mean, I absolutely hear your point. Yeah, it kind of goes both ways. Um, what was I going to say? But I just, I feel like with your point with the book and the album, Hillary, that even if they aren't quote unquote companions, it's still like with the same surrender name. That's some pretty good marketing right there. Like, oh, I think it was a huge like light bulb that went. I mean, I still am like, really? But I did read something that someone wrote. A, a few actually I think it was written on the date they announced the book that they mm-hmm. it was someone else's theory about the tie-in but I hadn't read that until today and I was like bummed that someone else thought of that before yeah I think if I was advising them if I could like run the, the YouTube world I'd be like do a great album that you believe in possibly with Eno and Lenoir or just one of them and put it out and then go out and play a bunch of unannounced like club shows. Play New York at Bowery Ballroom, play LA somewhere, play London, do like maybe in a month of pop-up shows that will get a lot of enthusiasm going, a lot of excitement. You, they could like reboot that way almost and then build up to the arena tour and even the stadiums. I think there's so much that they could do that would get people really psyched again. Yeah. So That makes me nervous because I don't, 
<laughs> I want to know what's coming. <laughs> no, sure. I I don't I live do anywhere too. near where they would have a pop-up show. So, like, I would have to travel for this. So I, I need notice. But I, I, I get that. I don't, I, disagree, I don't disagree with you. I think that would be a great thing. It just makes me feel sad for me because okay. well, what are the odds of me being in one of those cities? Right. But this is, like, fan fiction, so I don't need, you know, I don't need you to know. worry about it. But, yeah. You're right. And I feel like we live in fan fiction, Jenny. But the, sometimes the fan fiction comes true. It does. It does. Which is, I bet that that's the, I don't know, Bono's always listening. I like, know. Right. And like we had this conversation in our last ep too that you're, I mean, I'm just loving the term fan fiction right now because I really do think <laughs> our whole life, our whole lives is fan fiction. Like that's what we do. Like I'm, I made a set list. I made a set list in Tulsa because I didn't think that the, that I stayed up all night the night after the show or the night of the show. Like, I'm like, so it, I love that show, but it just, the set list didn't work for me. So I seriously, like, stayed up all night and made a new set list. And a couple months later, when they were in Europe, it was my exact set list. Like, what are the odd? I mean, literally, wow. every single song I, I, in order of what and i'm like is bono like is he listening like yeah, that's in your brain so if if you're listening and you are you two or you know you two <laughs> you can tell them andy's idea <laughs> <laughs> so i feel like yeah if i i really think that yeah if you're listening you are also, if you are you two or know you two, and you're really trying to get on a podcast and people are just telling you no right and left, we would be happy to help you out. We would be happy to help you if no one else will, <laughs> if you are you two or know you two, because yes. we're just that nice. We but are. This, open this, form here. This, is our new, uh, this is our new advertising campaign. No one else will have you. It's not, podcast. please come on our podcast. It's, we'd be happy to help you since you can't come <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Ugh. Well, do you have anything else, Hill? Um, I don't think I do, but do you, for our pop file, do you have anything, is there something else we can add to the pop file? Can you think of anything, Jenny? I don't know. Any, any final words you want to say about pop, Andy? I do. Oh, okay. I, I think when I've asked the band about pop a few times and in their minds, it's demos, it's unfinished, it's flawed. We didn't have time. The remixes are better. It got better on stage. That album is almost like an incomplete thing. I think they're wrong. I think the way it stands is oddly perfect and almost the mm -hmm. imperfections make it shine more in a way. It's as a rawness to it that I, I really appreciate and I think it's a shame they can never hear it for how great it is. All they hear is the stress and the pressure they felt while well trying to finish it. But it's a bummer they don't see the beauty of what they created themselves. Oh, that's perfect. Oddly perfect. I love that. Absolutely perfect. I hadn't thought about how they they probably can't take themselves out of that process. When they listen to the songs they can't yeah I can understand that I mean yeah hopefully one day they will yeah that they were like remixing the songs on tour they were frantically trying to, to fix it but yeah it didn't need fixing no 
Yeah, no, it didn't. I feel like um, I feel like they they should listen to our ups on um, pop, and maybe they'll have a change of heart because it had a solid direction. It just I don't know that we even figured that out for a long time. Yeah. No, it took us 25 years to figure it, took it us out. 25 years to. <laughs> yeah. And me sitting in a. <laughs> In your lounge, in your lounge chair in the dark with three cats on my lap and a dog. <laughs> but my my theory is that pop is a night is is what like what my night out was in the 90s in the mm-hmm. late 90s. It starts off with you know getting into the club and it ends with like you know the night the hung being hungover and, and every song is like in order of how your night goes. I mean, to like, yeah, I better sober up before I go, you know, before I drive home or whatever, and I got to find Waffle House or (laughs) that's Playboy Mansion, I think, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. I don't know, but I... It out perfectly. Yeah, it works out, but I really feel like, like, I I agree. I don't think they know what what a gem that they had there. I don't think I did. I mean, we, I didn't know. I love that album, but until we really started like digging, it, it I don't think I had any understanding of how amazing that album is. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andy. Right, thank you so much fun. Yeah. So if you ever need any like, I don't know, you podcasty experts, you know, on your printed pages of Rolling Stone. Or, uh, done. You know, we're we're just we're just a yeah. Facebook away. message chat away. Yeah, if, if you. your if your pint comes with a plus one plus one, um, and guest plus and guest. <laughs> I will bring both of you. I promise. Thank you. And if yeah, we, and we if are. we have if we have whiskey and cake with Bono, we'll. You please invite yeah, me. This works both you. ways. We have, of course, of course. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you. Have a good night. All right. Thank yeah. You. Thank you guys. Night, Bye guys. Okay. We'll talk Bye. soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.